Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Stu Hoden with Believe in the Media Guide on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? In this episode, we'll review the state of sports in the midst of a global pandemic with Rutgers University professor Stephen Miller. Among other courses, Steve teaches critical issues in sports media, so we'll dive deep into the novel coronavirus, its impact on the media industry, society, and more. You can connect with Steve on Twitter at SteveMillerRU, all one word. Thanks for listening to Believe in the Media Guide, and if you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcasts. I'm on Twitter at Hotem, H-O-T-H-E-M. Here's my conversation with Professor Miller. Sports in the age of the novel coronavirus, with a hat tip to the New York Times and its The Daily Podcast, like Love in the Age of Cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Passionate athletes, coaches, administrators, and fans are missing their community with no live sports. But we're welcoming to the Believe in the Media Guide community Stephen Miller, professor of professional practice and director of undergraduate studies, journalism, and media studies at Rutgers University. Welcome aboard, uh, Steve. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Stu. I'm, hopefully you're safe and everybody who's listening is safe out there. Yeah, that's that's the main thing. And um, terminology is so important at times like these. As, as journalists, we need to get the terminology right. And I believe the shorthand is the novel coronavirus, which causes the disease COVID-19. It reminded me of a discussion that was had around HIV and AIDS. And Rutgers, your university here in New Jersey, was one of the first schools to teach the d- distinction between the two following Magic Johnson's announcement in 1991. I was wondering if you could reflect on that time and then put it in perspective with what we're going through right now. Well, the fear about contracting HIV and AIDS was rampant at the time. It was very interesting to be on campus um, in the 90s because that was the disease of the moment. We were fortunate at Rutgers and unfortunate at the same time to have been able to teach a course through a CDC grant. Um, we were five, one of five universities in the country to get this money. And the grant, which was gotten, which was obtained by the director of health education at the time for the university, uh, Fern Goodhart and Professor Monica Devanis, um, enabled us to teach a course, a three-credit course that was a non-scientific scientific course about AIDS for the students, so the students would, you know, in layman's terms, be able to understand what was going on. Um, But in a very uh, different and unprecedented part to that was that we had also had one credit subject-related sections discussing how AIDS and HIV were impacting those disciplines. So the political science department had one, the sociology department had one, the English department had one about AIDS and literature, the theater department um, had one about what was being written at the time, and one of the great plays in the history of American theater, Angels in America, came out of that era. And we were fortunate to also be asked to do something, and I taught a course called AIDS in the Media, where we discussed the language that the media and journalism specifically were using about these and 
whether or not the journalists were covering the epidemic properly. And what's interesting is that here with this um, epidemic, some of the people who were involved back then are now reappearing because, uh, for example, the one of the president's um, doctors, who, one of the doctors who's advising President Trump right now, was in, deeply involved in the AIDS epidemic. And every time she gets up in front of a press conference, she is talking about the effort that w went on back then and how the community helped push forward the, the um, urgency of trying to find a, a solution to the problem of finding a vaccine. And she's correct. But also at the time, um, there was a doctor by the name of David Ho who was Times Person of the Year because he's the one who was behind the uh, so-called cocktail, which was three drugs that were combined together at the time and helped stem the epidemic itself. And the other night, and this is where it gets very interesting for me, um, even today the language that surrounded the epidemic, and now we're you know, 20, 25, 30 years later, is still misused. Rachel Maddow had Dr. Ho on the show because he's been asked to try and uh, lead the effort to try and find a vaccine for COVID-19. And when she introduced him, she talked about the fact that um, many people died from AIDS. Well, one of the things we studied back then was the fact that, and again, I'm no doctor, but this is, you know, from the journalist's point of view, when you want to get things to be exactly on, you know, on mark, because you don't want to make any mistakes in informing the public. Um, she said that people back, back when during the height of the AIDS epidemic, people died from AIDS, when in fact you do not really die from AIDS, you die from what's known as an AIDS-related disease. Um, so you die from, you know, Carposi sarcoma, you die from something that affects one of your major organs because your immune system is compromised. And that's one of the things we discussed that you have to be exact with your language um, at risk of misinforming the public. Um, another big thing that happened back then was the misuse of the terms AIDS and HIV, that people would think then that you died because of HIV. But the truth was that, and the truth still is, that you contract HIV and HIV can turn into full-blown AIDS. We examined that. And, it's, and also, in this time where people talk about fake news, false news, um, I, I always make an argument to my students and with others that fake news is something that's been around for a long time. It comes through in comedic shows, you know, The Daily Show, The Old Colbert Report, and so on. But it's fake news is just for comedic purposes, and they use news as their fodder. It's false news that really hurts society and hurts the democracy as we know it. And when you use the wrong language, then it's false news. And we as journalists should not be putting out things that aren't factual. And when you just one word in a sentence and people who study, for example, broadcast news writing or any sort of journalistic writing will tell you that one word can not only change the meaning of an entire sentence, changes the tone and changes the uh, way that people listen and follow the news and what their reactions are. So, for example, if um, I had a sentence that said, um, 
you know, President Trump is going to speak before Congress today. You know, you say, okay, fine. But if you add the word and embattled to President Trump, you're changing the whole meaning and the tone of the story. So language is extremely important in how you report things and how you explain things. I appreciate that background. It's great perspective as we, 20 years later now, deal with this pandemic. And the NBA, you could say, played a leading role in shutting down its season after Utah Jazz center Rudy Gobert's positive test last week. And that started the ball rolling, whereas NCAA President Mark Emmert said it was like, yeah, this is real. And March Madness was the, an, another um, forced cancellation. But I was wondering your take on the events of last week. Well, first of all, you know, we're speaking about language. And... Um, I find it almost offensive that everybody calls it March Madness yeah. mm -hmm. because March Madness is a marketing term that has been used to get people to buy the product. It's really the exact language is the NCAA men's um, basketball tournament. And so, and I just try and stress that in, in my class, I teach a class called critical issues in sports media. And that's one of the things we discuss is, What's marketing? What's not? What's the exact language? What are the things that are real out there? And so on. So it, it just keeps going on. But while you were saying it, it, it this whole conversation hit me that Go, uh, Gobert is now the new Magic Johnson because it was the, the same reaction mm -hmm. that not the NBA, the NBA didn't shut down, but the world listened mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. Sport, the sports world listened because people were not taking AIDS and HIV seriously back in 1991 until Magic came out. It's hard to even explain the societal reaction to the announcement. Um, if, for, if people are really interested, in, um, they can go to ESPN's documentary called The Announcement mm -hmm. and, just, and also various other places who, that, where this is discussed or you, the video where you can see this. Uh, but it's... It, the, the just, it was a tsunami in the same way that Gobert's, and not just his, the reaction to Gobert, it's Gobert's actions itself, themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the fact that he, one, was being interviewed about not feeling well, and then he went and acted like a clown and started tapping all the microphones mm -hmm. and all the different DV, you know, DARs that were in the room. At that point, when Adam Silver reacted he reacted really in the same way that David Stern did because you know, David Stern, that was the point where David Stern said, okay, all trainers have to wear surgical gloves when treating anybody with blood. If you get blood, if you get, you know, the rule that people who are following the NBA now or all sports now, they just take it for granted that a oh, blood shows up, they're gone. They're out of the game. That started with Magic Johnson. Mm -hmm. um, having people treat, having trainers and doctors on the bench, all the time and required ambulance in the arena that comes from magic johnson so you have all that happening and so the nba in both of these cases and sports in general have changed society probably forever the fact that everything shut down within days of gobert being and not just gobert it's also donovan mitchell and by the way, the interesting connection among sports is, is just, it's unbelievable because Donovan Mitchell's father, Donovan Mitchell Sr., works in the Mets front office. So you have, 
you know, Gobert, and who, who knows if Gobert gave it to Mitchell or Mitchell gave it to Gobert, and they just hap- Gobert just happened mm-hmm. to get the publicity around it. You know, but then Mitchell was in contact with his father, and his father, who tested negatively, thank goodness, but he could have then in, got infected uh, Mets players yeah. if he had had it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where you end up with how so all, all sports are so interconnected. Um, it's funny. You have the commercial for a credit card with um, – the Ertz's, um, and you say, to, well, and you don't even think about, it. oh yeah, it's it's not, it's so cool, you know. There's Ertz and Julie Ertz, and they're you know, out there, they're haha, they're my husband and wife, and haha, they're competing, haha. But what what happens if one of them gets sick, you know? And we're not just even talking about you know COVID. We're talking about you know if one of them gets the flu, right? Well, the whole U.S. women's national team could get the flu if if um, you know she got it from him. So. You know, it's there's a domino effect within the sports industry that has a, an unbelievable impact on society. You know, for those people who say, "Oh, it's sports," now sports have a significant impact on society, on community, on our language, on so many parts of our society. And sticking with the NBA theme, um, that was one of the first thoughts that Dallas Mavericks governor and not owner, as the NBA again uses the word term governor, uh, Mark Cuban. His first thought was about the hourly workers at his arena. Um, and, and I thought about that behind the scenes in um, television and in media where you have graphics and camera operators, stage managers and researchers. And fortunately, CBS and Turner have vowed to pay all of their technicians, utilities and freelancers who were um, contracted to work the uh, NCAA Tournament Final Four and Division Two and, and three championships. So this, you know, effect, as you say, uh, it's it's not just in the example you gave, the U.S. Women's National Team and the Philadelphia Eagles or the Jazz and the uh, Mets, but media as well. And I was wondering if you had any reports or, or feedback from uh, people in media and how they've been impacted by this. Oh, they've been severely impacted. Let's go back uh, 12 years to the economic meltdown then. Um, the entire media industry changed a number of its practices in terms of hiring and paying because of that. What they discovered then was that various uh, large media corporations could get by by not hiring staff members. Whereas before, back when you started, you know there were you know, freelancers here, freelancers there. Um, but uh, a lot of people were hired out of college as staff members. Mm-hmm. Today, that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And that makes it even more problematic to have this layoff because um, a lot of times they're what are known as permalancers and they get no benefits from it. You know, they just get a straight pay and they get paid by, by the hour, by a project basis. And I've had a number of our students lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one student who's employed by MLB Advanced Media and for those in your audience who don't know, MLB Advanced Media not only does the, ML, the Major League Baseball stuff, but they are, if not the number one, they're one of the top three streaming um, hubs in the country. So when up, in, up until the last six months, if you watched WWE Network, it was running through MLB Advanced Media. Mm-hmm. And not only, they not only do that, they also do the NHL um, stuff too. So... What, he lost his job. He was told, I'm sorry, there's no sports right now, so we don't need you. And you think about all the freelance writers and all the freelance uh, bloggers and uh, the people who run the websites. Uh, there's nothing going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no programming going on. Last night, MLB Television Network 
um, on their show, MLB Tonight, was trying to replicate what they do on an usual basis. So they said, okay, well, we're going to do a live break-in at a ballpark. <laughs> and what they do, they showed uh, old video from the 1990 World Series and described it as if it were today. So you have the ESPNs, the NFL networks, the Big Ten network, all these um, RS, RSNs, the regional right. sports networks, that live and breathe and die based on having these events go on, have nothing. So as one single place, it's going to become ESPN Classic. But you know, how, much, how long can you do that? And what's going to happen to the advertising rates on the, on the commercials? And how much money are they going to lose on all this? Um, and the longer it lasts, um, the more it's going to hurt. Now, the networks like the FCC network or the uh, Big Ten network, the college networks, knew that their year was going to end May or June. Um, so they're go they are probably banking on you know, their plans that they usually have after the colleges go out and there's no more college World Series or college championships. But if the professionals, but the professional sports networks, especially the ones that cover baseball, the MLB network, yeah. lives and breathes this time of year. Right. Uh, they've already done their 30 clubs in 30 days. They've already gone with that. Um, the NFL network is the only one that's going to survive in the same manner because there's no NFL anyway. Yeah. Um, the draft has been affected. They're going to be doing that without an audience for the first time. But people throughout the country are still going to pay attention, so the ad rates are going to stay up. But you know, what's you know, if the NBA doesn't come back, or if it, you know, somebody said, well, what happens if it comes to June? Well, they're losing tons of money between now and then, and the re ad ad revenue is going to be less because over the summer, not as many people are going to watch anyway. Hopefully, we'll all be able to go out by that time. Yeah, that's right. You know, NCAA makes 80% of its annual revenue from the men's tournament, including $1.1 billion a year from CBS and Turner through 2032. Now, there's insurance, and I read the NCAA has um, saved some money as buffer, so they'll be all right for now. But um, this, the, the real impact is on campus and uh, students, seniors, who um, you know, hopefully the spring athletes will get that extra year of eligibility, but the winter athletes miss out on the NCAA tournaments for the winter sports. So um, what's the perspective from athletes and students on campus? Well, you're talking to the right and wrong person about <laughs> this one. Um, Rutgers has not been in the NCAA tournament since 1991. Yeah. And this was our chance yeah. to at least have a shot at it. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I didn't see it, but some of my friends have seen the devastation on the looks of the coach and the players' faces as they were walking to the bus. Uh, think about this. You're about to play in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. Literally, you are 10 minutes away from it. They were all warmed up yeah. and about to play, and that's when they canceled. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and after all this time and all the excitement that was brewed on campus uh, from this, not, this unexpected run, uh, the devastation for those athletes is unbelievable. A um, couple of things about it. One, the the athletes who are graduating who played on the winter sports who aren't playing in the tournament are will, will most likely not get their eligibility back. Yeah. Because they played their entire season. It's just you know this is postseason and that doesn't count toward it. It's unfortunate they're not going to play, 
But as I said to somebody, well, what we can do is we can be the equivalent of the 1994 Montreal Expos, <laughs> who's, who were mm-hmm. leading when the yeah. uh, baseball players went on strike, and just say, hey, we could have won the NCAA tournament. And in fact, um, this, the, I don't know if you saw this, but the state legislature in Florida passed a, um, a, a bill or a declaration, a proclamation, stating that they believe that Florida State won the national championship. <laughs> yeah, that's the old UCF uh, winning the national championship syndrome seems to be uh, centered in Florida. Yeah. Right, exactly. But <laughs> we can say the same thing, though. Yeah, it becomes, um, you know, the from the movie the water you know on the waterfront 1954 charlie i could have been a contender uh that's right but it's you know but you know for those athletes you know you know you feel bad for them but they had their full four four or five years of eligibility and that's fine um what they're going to do for the kids in the spring sports i don't know because now you're going to start getting involved in scholarships and you know knowing the ncaa which is noticeable notably how can I put this cheap hmm. and very protective of all their funds, mm-hmm. um, as we can see by the use of the term student athlete, which is just a, a legal dodge so people don't get a workman's compensation if they get injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and their reticence, and that's being nice about paying athletes what they should be paid given the billions of dollars they pull in. Um, I'm not worried about the NCAA, believe me. Um, they have all the insurance policies they want. And they're going to still bring in all the money they can. Um, the, as far as the student athletes go, the question then becomes: If these people are juniors, do they get another year? What happens if somebody is in their fourth year but have only used three years of eligibility, but they're supposed to graduate? I mean, you start mm-hmm. going into right. that. Do they go to graduate school? It's a very complicated morass right now. Yeah. About what they're going to do with this. You know, so do you allow the softball player who? who may have already played four games or five games, um, or and, and that's I'm talking from a Rutgers perspective, versus somebody who's at Alabama who may have played 20 games already because right. they've had nicer weather, do you allow them to have another year of eligibility or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and who pays for that? And mm-hmm. where do you get the money? Do you let them back on camp? I mean, there's just so many things that are involved here. Yeah. And But this also points out to... Um, how archaic the NCA rules are and the need to reform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great point, and maybe this could be a catalyst for that as well, um, with the name, image, and likeness not far behind. So, um, well, yeah. well, but but this also brings in one other point, and that is, um, only, I believe it's only uh, University of Southern California and Indiana University are the only ones who give full four-year scholarships. The rest of the universities in the country are still behind them or at least most of them are, by, um, most people don't understand this. They think, oh, you get a scholarship, it's for four, four full years. And the answer is no. It's a one-year scholarship that's renewed every mm-hmm. year. And you know, will, the, will this uh, force the NCAA to go to full four-year scholarships? Because we don't know if it's going to be one of those situations where a university says, well, you know, that's a, the 15th player on the – or the 15th player on a team that – we only have 15, and we've got a whole new recruiting class coming in. Ah, let's not give them their, their scholarship again. You know, you can come back to school, but you have to pay for it. Right. So, right. Um, it's it's it be like I said, it's very complicated. Yeah. All right. Well, 
While we're talking about what's next, um, on Sunday, Centers for Disease Control and Protection um, issued a recommendation to cancel or postpone in-person events that consist of 50 people or more for the next eight weeks. So if we look ahead, WrestleMania is going to bring it in-house April 5th at their WWE training facility. Um, And I guess credit to Vince McMahon for paying the XFL players that uh, are going to basically be out of a a season uh, because of this uh, pandemic. Sticking with combat sports, UFC this weekend in London, they're probably um, going to, they'll definitely have to move the UFC 249 on April 18th from Brooklyn, and they're talking about moving it out of the country. You've got the Masters in golf postponed indefinitely, the Kentucky Derby postponed from the first Saturday in May to the first Saturday in September. Fortunately for NBC, a Notre Dame off week. Um, the Indy 500, also scheduled for NBC, is still on for May 24th, as we know for right now. Um, you mentioned the NFL and them seemingly being, you know, filling this void with news now. Um, Tom Brady um, going to be leaving New England, and that leads to NFL working from home. The schedule makers are going to have to figure out, well, when the he plays the Patriots or when he comes back to Foxborough, that's going to probably be a Sunday night football game. Uh, and then the draft, as you mentioned, um, which is interesting because leading up to the NCAA men's basketball tournament that some people call March Madness, the NCA was full steam ahead. We're going to play without fans. The NFL draft is in the same mode right now, which is within this eight-week window. We're not going to have fans, but we're going to have the draft. Do you think that's going to come off? And, and what are your thoughts on the NFL moving ahead on April 23rd with that event? One of the most bizarre things that I've seen recently, and I admit it, I watched professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um was to watch Friday Night SmackDown. Yeah. And seeing the wrestlers come out and acting as if there was an audience. <laughs> yeah. They come down. Uh, one of the wrestlers still climbed up on the ropes and started motioning to the crowd. Is this, okay, fine, I'm a robot. This is what we do mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one who's the funny part about it, the only one who was making fun of everything was um, Paul Levesque. Mm-hmm. Uh, A.K.A. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, mm-hmm. who is the boss of one of the bosses of WWE, right. and he was making a joke about the whole thing, yeah. and, you know, saying, "Oh, I'm going to do this," and, we, and it was it was that his parts were the most hilarious parts of of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as a side note, I I, lo- I really watch for the interviews. I, I fast <laughs> forward through the I yeah. forward through the wrestling, yeah. you know, uh, but that, but you you can pull these off. You, you can do it, but it also requires that you, as a listener or a viewer, because um, NPR has a show called Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, right. which is a, a news quiz which is done uh, most weeks from the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago. Right. Uh, or so they take the show on the road. This past week they had been scheduled to be at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and they did it without an audience. And all of a sudden you heard some applause. Well, it turned out it was the cleaning crew. Uh, wow. Bill Maher, um, on his HBO show, uh, did it in front of his writing staff. So you can pull this off. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of adapting, we, the audience, adapting to what's going on there. In fact, the NFL draft, it actually might be even better for 
the television advertisers because more people will now watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you want, and it'll be very interesting for the crew how they're going to set themselves up. So um, usually you have the four people around the table, um, whoever's hosting. It used to be Chris Berman. Um, Kuiper's going to be there. Right. Or are you going, it'll be interesting to see whether or not they have Kuiper live at the draft or the announcers live at the draft or what distance they're going to be. Yeah. So are they going to do it in the same way that CNN set up the debate this past Sunday night mm-hmm. with uh, Vice President Biden and Senator Sanders, right. where they're six feet apart and the um, moderators were all the way back from them? I could envision something like this. Um, if, you, if you've ever watched the baseball draft, mm-hmm. which takes place yeah. in Studio 3 at their television studios in Secaucus, now, what they'll do is they'll, on, on that fake field, they'll put tables and they'll put the names just like the draft always does. But I could picture them having one table or two tables for the announcers and then having a podium in which uh, Roger Goodell or the team representatives or somebody goes up and announces the pick. Mm-hmm. Um, the draft is, a, you know, it's funny, but the draft's a fake shot. Yeah. It's yeah. something that, you know, in the old days, they would do – you, know, you might as well just pick numbers out of a hat right. or names out seriously, yeah. because there's not there's not what is the entertainment in any of this? Well, the entertainment in all this is the buildup of excitement about who am I going to pick, and then um, the NFL has since in the, what only can be called their genius, their marketing genius, has been able to turn nothing into a show. In a way, it's um, and people in New Jersey know the reference of Yolanda Vega. <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the lottery, yeah. and okay, here comes the ball. All right, what's the ball? <laughs> oh, okay, wait, here comes the ball. It's number 43. Ah, okay, fine. Well, it's the, but it's the same thing here. You know, Goodell is Vega, and she co- and he comes out and says, and with the first pick, mm-hmm. drum roll, please. And so it, it'll be very interesting, but you're, the advertisers are not going to lose the money because mm-hmm. people are so involved. Mm-hmm. And in fact, what's interesting, and I'll give you a political analogy here, Somebody said one of the things when Vice President Biden announced the other night that he was going to name a woman vice president, uh, one of the comments was, oh, the, better, the betting people in, the, uh, in Vegas are really mm. happy about this because now there's going to be a betting line on it. Yeah, yeah that's a great well, point. Right. So now what, you know, if you want to create a show, all right, let's do fantasy draft betting. Mm-hmm. Because you know, and, and since the NFL also, especially Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft have of investment in DraftKings, sponsored by DraftKings. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. well, we have to create made-for-TV show. Okay, what are the odds on uh, Tua being the number one draft choice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so on. You, you watch that there's going to be some sort of shows based on this because right now as we're sitting here talking at, um, our, you know, at this time um, on St. Patrick's Day and happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody <laughs> else right. out there. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to have shows being created based on all of the problems we're having. Right. And they're going to find a way to get advertisers to go along with it. Um, and that way the money will still keep rolling in. Yeah. And also the NFL, of course, you know, turns garbage into a shiny object. 
every time because, oh, gosh, this is happening in, not in the NFL season. Well, and like you say, with the other uh, major sports, MLB is hoping for a mid-May opening day and to play as many games as possible. And, of course, they're an outdoor sport like NASCAR, which is planning to come back May 9th and will try to get in as many um, events as they can. NHL and NBA can play indoors. Um, NHL is hoping to have a training camp in 45 days and then games in 60 days. Um, and then the only concern, I guess, for the NBA would be if the Olympics happens with that competition scheduled for July 26th to August 9th. But again, that would only affect a subset of um, overall uh, the, the league uh, players. Well, that, well, but you just but you just you're raising a very interesting point and a question. If the NBA comes back even May 15th and they still decide to go with their usual 16 teams. And even if they, you know, reduce, you know, certain series from seven games to five games, at best case, it still lasts at least anywhere between six and 10 weeks. Right. Will the NBA then say, we're not going to send our players to the Olympics? Yeah. Or will the players say they're not going to the Olympics? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because, yeah. Yeah. Whereas before um, they were expecting to have anywhere, depending on which players went or made the team, um, Anywhere at at worst case scenario, eight weeks of rest. Mm-hmm. Now, are you going to go with three weeks of rest or four weeks of rest? Right. And are they going to want to go over to Japan? And nobody's really talking. Well, HBO Real, Real Sports raised a great question, and that is, why are they even holding the Olympics in Japan after Fuji after the uh, nuclear meltdown? And there's still high um, rates of radiation mm-hmm. yeah. in, you know, in, uh, around that part of the country and they evacuate everybody there and who knows what else is there in the country, but that's another story. Mm-hmm. But that brings in, you know, now you have two things that are going there, but you know, there are so many things that still haven't even been discussed or decided. And all this is dependent on when everything cl- is cleared up to the satisfaction of the health experts. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, you know, we at Rutgers are now on, I won't say furlough, we're on remote teaching after spring break, spring breaks this week, um, and, but our courses resume next week. Um, but they're uh, doing it online and via various technologies. We have no idea right now whether or not we're going to see these students again. So, I mean, right yeah. now they're, they're expecting, they're saying April 3rd, but given now that the governor of New Jersey has said that it's eight that for eight weeks, and the, and the federal government also that it's eight weeks. These rules are in effect. That brings us into May. You know, you were mentioning May 9th. Eight weeks brings you to May 15th. That's so, graduation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, not, not even graduation. I'm, and but it's graduation and for us, but for NASCAR to say May 9th is a bit presumptuous. If um, what they said at the press, the presidential press conference yesterday, that could be July or August. Yeah. Um, do you even do you even try and do the playoffs, or do you end up with the you know the equivalent of the 1994 baseball season? Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you do with at that point with the baseball season? Do you even bother playing a 30 game schedule? All right. Um, also, is somebody you know they haven't answered this question yet? Um, is there some computer being used right now in new york to come up with a an 80 game schedule mm-hmm. a 40 game schedule and 120 game schedule right. uh because it takes them about you know a very long time i heard i've heard different 
numbers to how long it takes to come up with a schedule. You hope they're working on that. And you mentioned online education. Um, online is a way that uh, fans can stay connected with uh, their athletes, whether it be social media. Um, NASCAR has e-racing, which had 23,000 average views for Sunday's stream of the Replacements 100 with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Bubba Wallace among the racers. And uh, New York Mets Rookie of the Year Pete Alonzo plans to play MLB The Show against other major leaguers, and, and they're hoping to stream those games. So um, that connection will, will try to move forward. And, and as you said, really at the top, and as I mentioned in my last podcast, ESPN Classic has become a trending topic on Twitter as fans are debating and media are debating over all-time lineups and best players. Um and uh, are watching these games um, and uh, in this Netflix and quarantine world ESPN plus you'd imagine would do well um, and NBC's Peacock streaming service is still scheduled for a launch April 15th so I think as you said with advertisers with the NFL draft getting what they wanted uh, there's a ca- captive audience here that um, f- fans are, are, are taking advantage of streaming services and uh, one of those opportunities um, was Ken Burns, who went to the PBS, and as he said, as many of us hunker down in the days ahead, it's important that we find things that bring us together and show us our common humanity. That's why, in the absence of many of our favorite sports, I've asked PBS, the public broadcasting service, to stream my film about America's pastime, baseball, for free. So... There are options. Uh, it's not great, but uh, we'll continue to stay connected as uh, sports fans. Well, it's, I'll, I'll go back and show my age. Um, a long time ago, um, there was, I'm going to say, a panel, and there may have been a computer. I think they did a computer of what ifs. So they've through the, uh, they put in statistics and whatever else they needed to put into a computer to see what if uh, these boxers had fought against each other. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, and they got down, to, you know, who would be the heavyweight champion of all time? And I, maybe it was Ring Magazine that did it. And it ended up eventually after a few weeks of, or a few months of doing it, it got to being Muhammad Ali and Rocky Marciano at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Um, I can see somebody coming up with that where you uh, somehow – through the magic of technology, had the 1970 New York Knicks play against the 2008 Cleveland Cavaliers, or mm-hmm. whoever whoever won the best, or whoever won that year in a basketball game. And what they do is they somehow edit tape together to show these teams, and then you hold an all-time tournament with how they do that. Yeah. Um, given the technology that we have today, and given the virtual reality, you could they could probably come up with whatever game you wanted um, to play, it become a lifetime, uh, you know, a lifetime obsession that somebody has with their favorite team playing against their other favorite team. (laughs) And they could just create a show like that and they would get an audience. Um, It almost becomes, you know, a video game. Yeah. Or in fact, the next thing you're going to see is, okay, well, which is what Peter Alonzo did. And I retweeted Peter Alonzo this morning. Um, which is instead of have you know they're going to broadcast that because right. e games are become they're even a college sport now. Yeah. And okay. you know have Pete Alonso go up against uh, Freddie Freeman <laughs> in playing this game and okay that's the first round and um, so on down the line and it's just amazing and they're going 
there are some uh, programmers out there who are rushing, absolutely rushing to get something together to try and fill the time. But in the end, I will quote a Bill Moyers documentary that at the, from the 1990s when somebody was, um, was asked about, excuse me, somebody tells a story about getting ratings up and he went to his mentor and said, I got the ratings up and the mentor said to him the following quote that I use all the time, which is don't ever get too high or low with the ratings because all you're doing is filling in the black spots between the commercials. <laughs> well said. And uh, Stephen Miller, professor of professional practice and director of undergraduate studies, journalism and media studies at Rutgers University. Thanks so much for your time and perspective today. It's my pleasure, Stu, and stay safe. And everybody out there, you know, please stay well and stay safe. So once again, my thanks to Steve Miller, who you can find on Twitter at SteveMillerRU, all one word. And thank you for listening to Believe in the Media Guide. Again, if you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes. We're also available at Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcasts on social media. I'm on Twitter at Hotem, H-O-T, H-E-M. Stay tuned and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.